Anybody start off the day with pancakes this morning? Anybody have pancakes for breakfast? Uh, Eggo waffles, any of those things? My mom was making uh, pancakes one day for her two sons, Kevin and Ryan, and they began to argue over who was going to get the first pancake. I know when we do pancakes, it's usually on a Saturday morning, and my wife makes uh, little miniature pancakes uh, at the end, and everyone's fighting over those little miniature pancakes. But this mom is making uh, some pancakes for her two boys, uh, Kevin and Ryan, and they were arguing over who was going to get the first one. And she wanted to use it as a teaching moment, so she, she said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. Kevin turned to his younger brother, Ryan, and said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking about being first in line at, at lunch, or you know, you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch today. Maybe it's pancakes, maybe it's barbecue, maybe it's a burger or chicken, but you know, being first is often a part of our, our mindset because we're almost programmed in American life and culture to look out for number one and everybody else can fall somewhere behind us. We're looking out to, to have a, the, that American dream and have the, you know, the, 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 the two-story house, the white picket fence, and two cars in the driveway, a Labrador retriever, and 2.5 kids, you know, and I don't know what you do with the .5, but you know, uh, that's how it is. It's kind of like we have a certain mindset. If we arrive, we've arrived at a certain place and value in this world, and oftentimes it requires us to put ourselves first to achieve those goals. And, you know, I believe we're a part of a church that is filled with faithful servants, people that are serving behind the scenes. In fact, every Sunday when I arrive on campus, there are people that are already here before me that are getting ready for the day and, and getting ready to, to worship. People are setting up early Saturday morning, setting all these chairs in place, getting classrooms set up, getting nurseries set up, and, and, and making room for all of you to come in the building on Sunday. And you know, I think the, the problem is all of us, I believe if we're, not, if we're careful, we can, we can all increase our servability. We can all increase our ability to be available to serve within the local New Testament church. And in order to improve our serve, we must look to Jesus who modeled servanthood, who modeled what it was to, uh, to humble himself and he came to earth not looking to see what he could do for himself, but he came ultimately to lay down his life a ransom for many. And so you and I have been redeemed for a reason, and we talked about those core values of celebrate and connect and contribute. We all have gifts. We all have ability abilities. We all have things that we can contribute toward Christ's church. And this morning, as we look at four ways to become a uh, a servant and, and improve our serve. I want us to check out what the disciples were doing in, in our text. In Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, is James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. If you've been here over the last several months, as we've studied through the book of the Gospel of Mark, over and over, the, the, the Christ's disciples, his, his core, his inner circle are constantly sparring back and forth over who's most important, who's most valuable, who's going to get the, the, the greatest accolades or, or, or whatever. And, and it didn't take them long to move from being amazed 
and afraid to having an attitude of arrogance. They went from feeling emotional to feeling entitled. And folks, if I look across our landscape today, we are such an entitled group of spoiled brats. All right? Let's put ourselves in this. I mean, you go to a fast food restaurant and you want quality, you want hot, you want fresh, you want all of these things, and yet you go to a restaurant and you expect them to have it done in 2.5 seconds, all right? Uh, am I right? And, and you get there and the, you're sitting in the, the drive through line and you're like, why can't they make that frappe faster, you know? I was sitting at, at Har- not Hardee's, McDonald's this morning and and I was sitting there, and I ordered my large mocha frappe, not because I needed it, because I wanted it. And I was sitting there, and they said, well, our frappe machine is broken. And I was like, no good, all right? Uh, last Sunday, you said the same thing. And so I get up to the window. I said, what is wrong with the frappe machine? It's gone the way of the ice cream machine. Uh, they're all broken. All of them. Well, there's a certain part that had to be ordered, and the owner had to order it. And I was like, Oh, my word, stop telling me all the details and just make it happen. I mean, this is the second Sunday in a row I haven't gotten my frappe, and I don't have time to go to Starbucks now because I've got to get to church, and it's all going. We're entitled. We somehow think that all of life revolves around us, and all of life is is centered on our needs and our wants, and our desires. So if I seem a little cranky, I did get my extra hour of sleep. I, I didn't get my frappe this morning. But, you know, it, it takes, it didn't take long for the disciples to have a feeling of entitlement. It's not something that the first time that Christ's followers would get all called up in who's the best or who's the brightest, who's the first, who's the favored child. And you might remember the disciples arguing in Mark chapter 9, verse 34, they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another. Jesus says, what are you talking about? They were embarrassed to say, we're arguing over who is the greatest amongst us. If you remember that, just a few weeks back. The disciples never seemed to figure out the importance of servanthood while Jesus was alive. In fact, during the Last Supper, on the night before his death, Unbelievably, we read these words in Luke chapter 22. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the what, church? The greatest. Jesus is getting ready to die. And they're trying to figure out who is the greatest. He has his disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and they fall asleep because they're more concerned about who's the greatest than the one who's getting ready to die on the cross for their sins. So we come to our text in verse 36. Let's look at monitoring our motives. What does it mean to monitor our motives? And the mother's name here, uh, James and, and John's mother, are, her name is Salome, and she was likely the aunt of Jesus. And maybe James and John thought that she'd be able to pull some family strings. You ever know someone in your family like, hey, they can get me tickets to a game. Uh, Shannon's cousin had uh, worked for the Hurricanes for a number of years, and she had box seats. And she worked every game. So they were available. And I'm telling you, I got really into Hurricanes hockey when you can sit in a box 
and, and they bring you food, and I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable, and I remember taking, I think it was Malachi to one of those games years ago, and, and someone else had given us box seats, and there was leather couches, and there were TVs, and there was this buffet of food, and I, I remember sitting there, and he didn't even want to go sit in the actual seats where you could see the game. I mean, he was just enjoying chilled on the leather couch as he was feeding his face, and and I said, don't get used to this because uh, Daddy can't provide this level of uh, of kosher, uh, of comfort, or whatever, so to speak. And uh, he was enjoying that uh, the, the perks of, of, of knowing people. But folks, here, monitoring our motives, James and John were trying to pull some family strings. They asked for a blank check. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Jesus, they want Jesus to say, hey... Whatever you want, your wish is my command. But verse 36, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. The word granted means bestow. And they said, I want to sit on the right hand and, and, and the cabinet. I want to sit on others, the left hand and the Lord. We want to be in prominent positions of leadership in your kingdom. And they want to be closest to Jesus, but higher than everyone else. Their mother desired the best for them, and all three of them wanted their will to be done in their way and in their time. How difficult is it for us sometimes to monitor our own motives? What is it that motivates you to do the things that you do, whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whether it be at school, whether it be in a church life, what is it that motivates us? As best that we can, we need to get our reason for serving straightened out, folks, because if we're serving to impress others or to try to gain favor with God, the world says actions speak louder than words. But folks, the word of God says our motives speak louder than our actions and our world and our words. Paul Miller said this, he says, the great struggle of my life is not trying to uh, discern God's will, it's trying to discern and disown my own will. Folks, so often we are trying to discern and, and disown our own selfish thoughts, our own selfish motives, and when faced with their mixed up motives, Jesus asked a question to reveal what they were thinking. What do you want from me? A truthful answer to this same question could help you and I monitor our own motives and figure out why is it we're doing the things that we do. It's a lesson for us as parents. While this mom no doubt wanted the absolute best for her sons, she was actually exhibiting a spirit of entitlement. Hey, Jesus, by the way, if you could just make a special room and make it possible for my sons to be elevated amongst their peers and, and you know, there's some people who have gotten in trouble recently, and I think spent a little time in the, in the slammer for uh, trying to get some uh, college admission things going on. You watch any of these things on TV? People that we've maybe watched on TV, and they're suddenly saying, hey, if we pay a little money under the, under the cover, so to speak, under the rug, we can get accepted into the, the school of our choice or get a certain status and success. Folks, what has, sometimes as parents, we can be so focused on success of our children that we end up creating self-centered sons and daughters 
who thinks they all think that they're a prince or a princess and they deserve the best and the brightest and the biggest. It's often so helpful to remember, folks, that our kids learn the best lessons through stress, through trial, through adversity, through finding out the hard ways that everything that's not is not given to us. We have to work hard. Character is built through stress, not success. But see, we he says, prepare for problems. In verse 38, he says, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? What's he saying? He says, you don't have a clue what you're asking. The word cup is ultimately referring to a symbol of suffering or affliction. To drink means to take something deep inside. If you remember the story when Jesus was in the garden, he prayed. He says in Matthew 26, my father, if it's possible, make this cup be taken from me or pass from me. He says, but yet not I as I will, but as you will. The cup stood for God's wrath and his judgment. And at its core, baptism means to be identified with, with being fully submerged. The, the idea here is Jesus is about to be fully immersed in intense suffering. He took our sin on his body on the tree. And one of the, on top of all the physical pain, Jesus is also going to experience the undiluted wrath of God's righteousness as God the Father allows him to take the sins of the entire world on his body, on his shoulders, as Isaiah tells us, that Christ would die on the cross as a substitute for sinners. God imputed the guilt of our sins on Christ, and in our place he bore our punishment that we deserved. He took the full punishment and payment of our sins, and it satisfied the wrath of God so that he could forgive sinners without compromising his holy standard. So it's interesting this morning, Jesus uses two words that we use for the ordinances, the cup, in other words, communion or the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. And we have a couple of people getting baptized soon in, in just a few weeks. And we have uh, communion in, in two Sundays, uh, two weeks from today on the, on the 20th, uh, in preparation as we're celebrating Thanksgiving and giving thanks for all that God has, has done in our lives. But unbelievably, James and John answered this pointed question with complete confidence. In verse 39, he says, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and with baptism, with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. They wanted God's glory, but Jesus tells them to get ready for grief, prepare for problems, prepare for suffering. And while we don't always know this in advance, folks, we're going to suffer. We do because it's part of following Jesus. He was persecuted, and folks, if you are going to serve God, you will endure persecution. I, that's not popular. In fact, in our, our current modern culture, everybody wants to be living their best life now, and, and everybody wants to have a, a life free of problems and struggles, and if I just follow Jesus, suddenly my life will be just smooth as silk. 
you've obviously never served God. You've obviously never gone on a mission trip because if folks, let me just tell you, if you don't want to face any adversity, any strife, any persecution, any struggles, please, for the love of all things holy, don't go on a mission trip because it will be on. You say, what do you mean? The moment you commit, the moment you decide, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to allow God to use me, you're going into spiritual battle, folks, spiritual warfare. In fact, the word of God says that the gates of hell shall not prevail, but they're going to sure try. They're going to sure do everything in their power to fight against the work of God and his church. So as the church is taking on new ground, folks, even preparing these parking lots and all getting ready for more parking and more entrances and get room for more people. Do you know the foreman on the job talked to me the other, the other day out here behind the church? He said, I have never seen so much, so many obstacles and adversity in trying to get a, a parking lot done. He said, everything that could possibly go wrong has gone wrong. You know what I say to that? Woohoo! Praise God, because that just means God is going to save even more souls, even more people are going to be added to the kingdom of God. The church is going to make a greater impact on the kingdom here in this community. Why? Because the devil is fighting on every side. So folks, if you don't want to face adversity, go to a country club. Sit in a church that is just all about themselves and building their own kingdom. And, and the bigger the building, the bigger the one. Go, to, go that route. But folks, if you don't want to face adversity, let me just tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is going to have persecution. And when you sign up, when you commit to serving, every obstacle in the book's going to come your way. But folks, I'm thankful this morning that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Or do you believe that this morning? Every single day, it's worth getting up and serving a God who is more than able to defeat the, the, the enemy. And folks, we know how it turns out in the end. We know Jesus Christ is on his throne. So James and John are trying to advance their own agendas. In Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For I have been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Read the, the Pauline epistle. Read the, 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 half the, the New Testament as it talks about the suffering of the Apostle Paul. And folks, many of the, the books were written from a prison cell. But yet Paul is saying it's been worth it. He says, I wouldn't change anything about what God is doing because it allows the kingdom of God to be advanced. The drink of the cup has reference not only to suffering, but it refers to remaining faithful and to the very, in fact, verse 40 says, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. He goes on, and as the gospel of Mark carries on in verse 41, he says, let's learn to elevate others. In case you're wondering how the other ten disciples felt, is James and John are conniving and trying to maneuver things to get their position on the right hand and on the left hand of the Father. In case you're wondering, it says, verse 41, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. 
You know, that inner core was Peter, James, and John. How do you think Peter felt? He was the spokesman. He was the, he was the one that was always out front sticking his foot in his mouth. And, and somehow, Peter's thinking, they got angry. In fact, it made them indignant. And the word indignant means greatly afflicted or sorely vexed. It would be fair to say they were pretty upset. The sad part is they weren't appalled by their lack of understanding of true servanthood. They were more upset that James and John got to Jesus That said more about where their heart was. The other ten aren't upset that here's these two guys that are trying to manipulate the Savior. They're just upset because they got there first. In a family with four teenagers, I'm telling you, it's survival of the fastest in our household. And, and you can tell we haven't missed many meals. And But the reality is, is my kids are always looking at the rest of the food on the island and they're seeing what's still left over there and and sometimes they'll have taken two bites out of their chicken breast and they're going over and grabbing a, a second one because they're wanting to make sure that you know when that chicken breast is done they're gonna get another one and and they're gonna go back for seconds on everything and they're and they're isn't that how we operate church we often are looking at to see if we are going to get the glory, and I remember years ago when this church was brand new, we were getting ready to plant some trees along the perimeter of the property, and back then, believe it or not, you could buy a decent-sized tree for $100. I'll never forget that Sunday, my dad. Some of you were here that day. They said, how many would like to purchase one of the trees to, to put along the perimeter of the property, and we need like 18 trees, and uh, who will buy one? And people raising their hand, raising their hand, raising their hand. And folks, people will do stuff if everyone knows that they've done it. And I'm not putting down because those great people who bought some really great trees. But the reality this morning is if we're only doing it, if we get noticed or we get patted on the back or we get the accolades or, or the attention, folks, that's the wrong reason. Paul is saying here, he says, we've got, we're struggling. We're trying to make it about ourselves. But verse 40 says, but to sit at my right hand is not, Jesus said, it's not up to me. He says, it's for those whom it's already been prepared. Elevate others. Elevate others. Make it about other people. And the spiritual attitude of the ten, unfortunately, was not any better than James and John. I love Jesus' response in verse 42. He calls them in all into a huddle. And he says, Jesus called him. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. The world's way teaches we should spend all of our energy to get to the top. And we get there, you can boss everybody else around. Jesus reminded them that seeking power was a pagan practice. He said it was a Gentile practice. These are the people that are considered unclean, the people that the Jews would avoid at all costs. Rabbis would often use Gentile illustrations as a negative example. 
He's a German Kaiser, one of the most recognized figures of all of World War I. After he died, his valley said this. He says, I cannot deny that my master was vain. He had to be the central figure in every situation. He says, if we went to a christening, he wanted to be the baby. If we went to a wedding, he wanted to be the bride. If we went to a funeral, he desired to be the corpse. He says, because he was so self-centered, he wanted to be the center of everything. And folks, we have similar desires in our own hearts. I've gone to birthday parties that other people at the party would make it about themselves. <laughs> You're like, you hijacked that party. Or you ever go to a wedding and someone proposes at the reception? Wrong timing, people. Wrong. It's not about you. <laughs> Don't ruin someone else's big day. So I just thought how, how special. She caught the bouquet and I'm just going to propose. Don't do that. That's so selfish. It's not your moment. Let it be about the bride. Let it be about the couple. And I read a story about a pastor in Sierra Leone who found an incredibly rare 706 carat diamond and made the selfless decision to give it to the country's government in hopes that it would improve the lives of its citizens. He said, I believe the government can do more, especially at a time when the country is undergoing Severe economic challenges, stated the pastor. The diamond was valued at $62 million. Now, this morning on the way to church, I heard about the lottery, way over a billion dollars. I'm just saying, if, if, you, if you buy tickets on that and you don't tithe, I'm just, I'm playing. The, the reality this morning is we were saying, hey, you know what, Pastor, I would tithe. If I won the lottery, I would tithe to this church and we would build buildings you ain't never thought, dreamed of, possible. And it's like, no, if you don't tithe when you make 30000 or 60000 or 100000 you certainly won't do it if you wait $1.5 billion. Can I get a witness this morning? The reality is, if we're not faithful where we already are, where God has planted us with what he's already given to us, folks, if we gain a billion dollars, we would still not be faithful with the things that God has entrusted in our care. What is a servant? It's someone whose heart is intent upon, whose will is bound to the will and wishes of another. Folks, if, you, if I am your servant, then what you say goes. You have the last word. Let's, let's think through the difference between a servant and a volunteer, because sometimes people volunteer for stuff. You know what? The majority of time, people are getting credit at their job, because their job wants them to volunteer a certain number of hours. Am I getting, uh, am I touching on any toes this morning? Uh, some people say, well, you know what, I, I, my kid wants to volunteer, but their class at school requires that of them. Am I right? Companies come in to all of these nonprofits and they donate their time. Why? Because they want their people to volunteer. When I was in college, I worked at UPS and they wanted us to donate money to certain, and they would take it out of your check, and 
They would literally hold you upside down and shake you until your money fell out of your pocket and they would take it and say, we gave X number of dollars to charity in our city. And I was thinking, yeah, you nearly killed us for it, but we did that actually. Am I not? That's, that's how it works. A servant serves no matter what. A volunteer comes when it's convenient. A servant serves out of commitment. Someone once said the servant does what he's told when he's told to do it. The volunteer does what he wants to when he feels like doing it. Friends, Jesus didn't come to recruit volunteers. He called us to be servants. He saved us that we might serve. Psalm 123 verse 2 says, As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. When the master moves his finger in command, the servant simply obeys. A true servant is one who has learned to subdue the defiant autonomy of self and to subject the will to the wishes of another. I'm not saying volunteering is wrong. I'm not saying giving to charity is wrong. What I'm saying is if all we're doing it is to get an accolade or a pat on the back here in this life, folks, we have missed the entire point. Jesus is saying consider everyone as someone to be served. Consider everyone to be your master. We must take opportunities to serve because we are obligated to serve. Remember that the true test of whether you're a servant is to consider how you respond when you're treated like one. Then he wraps it up here. He says, embrace the example of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just shake up our self-centered motives. He doesn't just tell us to prepare for problems and to elevate others. He offers himself as a role model. Verse 45, as we conclude this, this text, says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what, church? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for who? For many. It's really the summary of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is servant and Savior. We unpack the word ransom. It was the price for redeeming slaves or prisoners. The image of this word ransom is of a slave being offered on the marketplace and someone paying the price to set them free. Jesus gave his life voluntarily, vicariously, meaning he did it for us instead of us. He did it in our place. First Timothy chapter 2, he says, verse 5 and 6, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I love, folks, what happens is he gives us the opportunity to see what a true servant looks like because he modeled it every single day of his ministry. He paid the price in, ex in exchange this morning. We are set free. We give him our rottenness. In exchange, he gives us righteousness. He's fixed our wrongs. He covered our sins. And in exchange, he was given a, he has given us everything that we need. You say, Pastor, what's the application? Take note, take a picture. 
There's four things I'm going to put on here. Serve whenever you can. Serve wherever you can. Serve whoever's in need. And be willing to do whatever it takes. Because you see, so often, we're like, you know what? If there's nothing else better to do, if there's not another opportunity that's more appealing. You ever invite someone to your house and you're having a, a gathering or whatever and you can tell that person is like, well, kind of holding out, maybe hoping that there's a better chance. You know, sometimes single people do that. They're, they're hoping to get a date, you know, and they're like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep you on the back burner and if nothing else comes up for New Year's Eve, you know, I'll come. No. Jesus is looking for people who will serve, who are going to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, who wants to impact their city and the world with the gospel. We ought to serve wherever we can, folks. We ought to serve wherever, whenever we can. We ought to serve whoever is in need. We ought to be willing to do whatever it takes. I'm afraid over the last three years, one thing people have been slow to return to do is serve. Because it's easy to settle in and get comfortable. It's easy to find a seat that's just fits. I'm just going to kind of hang out here and let everybody do their thing and I'm going to just, on occasion, I'll, I'll raise my hand, praise Jesus, I'll, I'll throw a 20 in the offering plate, I'll, I'll do, he saved us, church, so that we might serve. He chose us to be the mouthpiece of the gospel, and we've gotten accustomed to sitting on the sideline instead of actually getting into the game, and we wonder why we don't have that joy. We wonder why we don't have that excitement in our step. We wonder why so often we walk through life and we're trying to find meaning and purpose. And it, we once had that. Can I just maybe offer a suggestion? Maybe what we've been pointing back to is I used to do that. I used to sing. I used to serve. I used to go. I used to What are we going to do when we stand before God? And he says, you can't say you, you couldn't because you could. You can't say that you couldn't afford to because I made sure you could. You had two able legs and a, a, a brain that could compute things that Half the world would never even understand. And you have the ability, you have every opportunity, and yet for whatever reason, you're sitting over on the sidelines instead of getting in the game and saying, you know what? I want a piece of the action. Not in a selfish way. I want God to use me. I want to be a part of the team. I want to experience the excitement of serving in a local church 
in a way that, folks, it revolutionizes my walk, my relationship with Jesus and his church. Can I just encourage you this morning, take time this week to message a ministry leader in our church. Let them know, say, it's time for me to start serving again. You might send them into a heart attack, heart palpitations. We'll, we'll call the ambulance if we need to, but it'll brighten their day. But folks, it might just revolutionize your relationship with Jesus this week. It might be the catalyst, the thing that really begins to set back into motion, experiencing the joy of serving God and folks experiencing his presence, his power. For some in the room this morning, it might just mean letting someone else have the first pancake at breakfast this week. But I wonder who's willing to live like Jesus? Who's willing to step up their game and service and say, God, here am I. Use me. I'm your servant. If you could take my gifts, if you could take my abilities, if you could take my, my resources, if you could have my time, I'll be that servant that you can use for your glory and for yours. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning?